Welcome to the Hidden Archives. I am your host, Nicole Clark. This is episode 12, which means that the next one will be the last for this season. However, we do plan on doing some between-season content. This may include behind-the-scenes stuff, interviews with various individuals associated with the show, some new stories here and there, and or other content. So just stay tuned. The season finale should be out in two weeks, but we may need an extra week to get things just right. So please be patient. I promise it will be worth the wait either way. We don't normally deviate too far from horror to find wise individuals to quote. However, this evening, our warning is brought to you by C.S. Lewis from his book, The Screwtape Letters. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. So from this point forward, you will be testing your own courage against our reality. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content may follow. This is your warning. With the existence of email and text, letter writing has fallen out of vogue as a form of popular communication. However, it still feels meaningful to receive a handwritten letter. This search for meaning might drive people to certain extremes to obtain such a thing. But how far is too far? Our story this evening will seek to provide answers here, but it may not be for everyone. Thus, we address it to whom it may concern. Dear Mr. Crane, I heard about you through a friend of mine. They said you can help me. You see, my brother committed suicide about three weeks ago. There is a whole bunch of speculation about his death, even though the police proved it was a suicide. The thing is, well, he left no note. This has caused a stir, and I just want his memory not to be tarnished by people's constantly badgering me and talking about him and our family behind our backs. I want things to return to normal, and I heard you can help that happen. Please, just write a simple note for him. I have attached a journal to this message with facts about him, just like my friend said to do. I know you do not like to be contacted by your customers other than with the finished product. Thank you. I'd read hundreds of letters just like this one over the course of my career. Always a similar story. Someone committed suicide without leaving a note. Someone was accidentally killed in an embarrassing death. Or cause of death couldn't be explained. These were the types of deaths that loved ones wanted to keep secret or have an explanation for. Something to tell people to shut them up. So they would write to me, Max Crane, explaining their circumstances and I would send them a well-crafted suicide note that fit the situation. My goal was to help provide closure. 
to make up answers for people to help them move on. And I was damn good at it too. With a degree in forensics and one in psychology, I could pick apart the details of a person's life and death and put together a very convincing note. In my mind, I was helping people return to normal after such a tragic loss. And I always made sure to remain completely underground. If people started finding out about me, then all of my work would be for nothing. I finished reading the letter and turned to the journal. There were plenty of facts for me to peruse. Details upon details of the deceased interest, irritants, people he loved, those he hated. There was more than enough to work with. This only required a short note. Most of them did. The more you wrote, the more fabricated they seemed. Short and sweet, so that people could move on in much the same way. It only took about an hour to finish this one. At just over a paragraph long, it was shorter than most of what I usually wrote. So I decided to check another letter. I usually received three to four letters on any given day. For someone who liked to remain underground and secret, this was a lot. Too many people died for no reason. It was up to me to give them a reason. Or reconciliation, at least. The letters always came through snail mail. I believe that this was more personal, something real and tangible to give to people. I tore open a business class envelope and read something that was very unlike anything that I had ever read before. Crane. I have had my ear to the grapevine for a while now. I've heard of you, and I like what you do. So I figured you could help me. You see, I'm not very good at writing or expressing myself. I'm not good at anything, really. I want to kill myself. I've thought it through. There is nothing for me in this world. My family is dead. I have no friends, no job, no interest. I'm just done. I even know how I am going to do it. I just need a letter. Will you write one for me? Jeez, this is messed up, I thought. I was used to receiving letters about deaths that had already occurred. Hell, I had even received fan mail a few times. But never something like this. Not one letter thus far from someone who was planning suicide. Naturally, this set me on edge. Okay, just think, Max. If you play your cards right, you can stop a death for once, instead of just covering one up. I started crafting a reply. The best plan of action here was to be tough. Take charge, control the situation, and make them depend on me. Once I had done this, I would be the puppet master. I tore a page out of a notebook, grabbed a dull pencil from my desk drawer, 
and started writing in bold block letters, speaking aloud as I did. To whom it may concern. I would like to write a letter for you, but I need some information first. I don't even know your name, much less anything about you. I have to be convincing. You understand? Maybe we could meet somewhere to talk and exchange information. This would honestly help me to do my job a little better for you. I will even include my email address. Send me a message. I see no reason that we should wait for the postal service. I folded the letter, stuffed it into an envelope, addressed it, and crammed it into my back pocket. Then, I made my way out to the post office. Time was of the essence, and this letter was flying first class. The next couple of days were tense. I checked my email religiously. Finally, exactly a week later, I got a reply. Crane, I guess I understand your need to get information. We should meet, but I want to choose the time and the place. I see your games. I know you are trying to be the boss. But I have made up my mind. I'm going through with this whether I have your letter or not. I don't need it. I just prefer it. Meet me at a hotel room tonight. 10 p.m. sharp. By that time, I will have already taken a slow-acting poison. It will give me about two hours. I hope that is enough time for you to write. I think you understand why I'm doing it this way. I will send you another email with my room number and hotel name about half an hour before you are to be there. This is so that you can't arrive early or call the police. What was the point in responding to this email? Although I didn't originally figure that my anonymous pen pal would go to this length, I still planned on stopping them. I spent the next few hours leading up to my appointment researching poisons that acted in the manner described in the email. I searched the internet, read through medical journals, and even contacted pharmacists. However, I couldn't determine anything definitively. There were hundreds of things that, if taken in certain doses in certain ways, might act like this. Call it a messiah complex, but I needed to be the one to fix this. Sure, I could call authorities and medical aid and not even show up myself. Let someone else handle it. But I was responsible for this. If this person wanted help, they could have called a suicide hotline, not me. My career in crafting suicide notes had caused this. I did plan to call for help once I was on location but I would have to be out of there before they arrived because I couldn't risk being discovered. My only option was to show up and try to knock the person unconscious, search for a bottle of poison or something in the hotel room, and then call paramedics.
this would have to do because it was already 9.15, and I was out of time to think of an alternative. I refreshed my email inbox every 10 seconds or so, but by 9.30, I hadn't received a single message. Did they back out of it? Or was the person already dead by some accidental overdose? I knew nothing. Not what might be going on, not the person's name. I didn't even know if they were a guy or a girl. Finally, at 9.40, I got the next email. I wrote down the information on my palm, checked to make sure I had my cell phone to call the paramedics, and rushed out the front door without even bothering to lock it behind me. I got to the hotel with only five minutes to spare. But these few precious minutes were eaten away by the elevator ride up to the room. Why the hell is this freak on the ninth floor? Are they actually going to jump or something? Hurry up, you piece of garbage! The ride seemed to be taking forever, but the old-fashioned dial that counts the floors finally slowed and then stopped on nine. I ran down the hall, counting rooms as I went. 901, 903, 905, 907. That's it, 915. It was a corner room at the far end of the hall. I looked at my watch. It was already 10.02. Hopefully, this person was gracious with time. I knocked, waited, and finally an older woman answered the door. She looked me over. Don't you have a notebook or something? What are you going to write my note with? I hadn't considered this. I had to think quickly. Uh, I was, er, I was just going to write it on the notepad. Hotel rooms always provide a notepad by the telephone. I thought it would make it more genuine. The woman smiled a sideways smile, which was actually more of a smirk mocking my folly and opened the door a bit wider, gesturing for me to enter. It was an old hotel. The door still used keys, and the lock was fashioned so that the key had to be used on either side of the door to open it. When I entered the room, the woman turned the lock and broke the key off inside. Wait, what'd you do that for? I was confused, and starting to get a bit nervous. What had I gotten myself into? Oh, that was just an accident. Terribly sorry. The woman was wearing the same queer smirk as before when she said this. She crossed the room to where I was standing by the bed and asked me to take a seat. Then, the woman sat in the chair by the telephone, found the notepad, and tossed it carelessly over to me. So you can write my note. Something wasn't right. I stayed quiet for a while and tried to figure out what was going on. What's the matter? Writer at a loss for words? She laughed. Well, I do suppose I should introduce myself. Though I am already pretty familiar with you. What's happening here? What are you going on about? Things were getting a little too weird for me, and I suddenly got a heavy feeling in my gut. The woman changed her demeanor in a flash, from the silly sarcastic to quivering angry. 
Let me explain, you little prick. I know what you're all about. I know what you do. Writing letters for people who died or committed suicide? What type of service do you think you're providing? Do you think you're some sort of twisted angel of death? Giving hope and peace to people who are hurting? Reeling at the loss of a loved one? Well, you aren't. You're just a sick jerk. Who are you? What is your problem with me? Are you some kind of nutcase or something? No, Mr. Max Crane. You want to know what this is all about? How I heard about you? My son. It was my son. He died three years ago today. It was an accident. He was out in the country, had done a bit of drinking, then got into a car with his girlfriend and went speeding away. The car crashed. He died. And his girlfriend survived. She wasn't even injured. She just walked away. But she wasn't worried about my son. She didn't care about him. She only cared about herself. She knew she would get in trouble if anyone found out that she was drinking and hooking up with him. She was drunk and high out of her mind. If her school found out, then she would lose any chance at a scholarship. So she lied. She told everyone that my son was depressed and contemplating suicide. So she formed a plan and said that he had gone out that night by himself to kill himself. It was perfect. She was uninjured, so everyone believed her when she said she wasn't with him. She even fooled you into writing a note which the police found a week after the crash. This sealed it. Case closed. But not for me. My family and my values believe that a suicide condemns you to hell. My son was a good boy. You hear me? He was a good boy. His father slipped into a bout of depression. The rest of the family believed that he was burning in hell. And I couldn't figure out why he had done it. How could I let my son slip away with no dignity? He was stripped of all his honor. And all he did was make a stupid mistake. But you. You were responsible for all of it. Without your little suicide note, all of this wouldn't have happened. My son's memory would be kept alive in honor. The only reason I know about you is because my son's little harlot came to me and explained everything after she saw how torn up my family had become. But it was too late for that. It was too late for everything. Look, I had no idea. I just try to help people. I never imagined, I mean, I didn't think. No, no, you didn't think. You didn't consider what you were actually doing. How you make other people feel. Not everyone thinks the way you do. So you know what? I'm going to expose you. I'm going to make you pay. And this is how. You are going to write one of those little notes that you are so good at writing, and you're going to explain what it is you really do. Then you're going to sign it. Finally, I'm going to kill you.
No longer will you be able to destroy the memories of people. Just then, the woman took a syringe from her coat pocket and stuck the needle in my neck before I could so much as react to the situation. The syringe is full of gasoline. Try anything, and I will push this little plunger. You will die a pretty quick, but painful death. And I can, and will, make it look like a suicide. But I want you to write the note first. Trust me, it will feel better to confess. To get your crimes in the light. Either way, you are going to die. So you might as well die with what little dignity you can manage. Now write! I picked up the pad and pen. My hands were shaking. What was she going to do? Maybe the psychopath was right. Maybe I should confess. Maybe I really was hurting people and not providing the service that I thought I was. So I started to write. But before I could finish a sentence, the pad flew onto the nightstand and the pen tore itself from my grip. Then, it started writing on its own. Mom, I know it hurts. I am sorry I can't be there with you to take away the hurt. But I am here for now. I made a mistake. It was an accident, but it was my fault. I chose to drink and drive. I even put the life of my girlfriend on the line. It was a stupid choice, but I made it on my own. However, you don't have to make a mistake. Please, let this man go. I know you disagree with what he does, and I know it feels like he has wronged you. But I would still be dead even if he was never here, and killing him won't bring me back. He honestly believes that what he is doing is right. Please don't kill him. I am okay, and you will be too. Then, the pen dropped flat on the notepad. The woman removed the syringe from my neck, dropped it on the ground, and picked up the note. There was silence. Neither the woman nor I knew what had just happened. She just sat down and started reading the note for a while. Finally, she opened the drawer on the nightstand, pulled out a pair of pliers and another key, and handed them to me. Use the pliers to get the bit of the other key out and go. I did as I was told. I wasn't going to hang around any longer than I had to. All the while, she just sat there on the bed holding the note, peering at this apparition through misty eyes. I walked out of the room and left the door open behind me. This time, I took the stairs down. I needed the time to think about what had just happened. I massaged my neck where the woman had jabbed the needle in. It was still bleeding and sore as hell, but I would live. Finally, I got to the bottom of the stairwell and walked into the lobby. This whole day was full of the most insane stuff I had ever witnessed. Should I keep writing the notes? Was I actually doing any good? 
Or was I just making matters worse? With people out there like that woman on the ninth floor, I doubted if this was an endeavor to continue. All these thoughts and more were swirling about in my mind as I exited the hotel. But as I did, I encountered a large crowd. Something was going on, but the crowd was too thick and the night too dark to see what it was exactly. So many people were gathered at the corner of the hotel. I had a hunch, so I looked up. At the ninth floor, just above where the crowd had gathered, a window was open and the curtains were blowing in the cool night breeze. Then, a small yellow piece of paper with the hotel's insignia wafted gracefully down, swirling as it did so, to where I was standing. I caught the paper and almost fainted as I started reading. It was the same piece of paper from the room that the note magically appeared on. It even had the half-sentence that I had started to write before the pen took charge of itself. But in the same ghostly handwriting that the original note appeared, it now read, To whom it may concern. I know what you did. Your sins do not go unnoticed. You are responsible. And it now, life is not worth living. Join the ranks of the damned where you belong. Signed, Max Crane. Well, that certainly was a twist on the classic haunted hotel theme. For devoted fans of the show, you may assume that the name of the hotel was the 71st Street Hotel. For new fans, this is a free connection for you. Check out the episode, Thirst, to make the connection. Once again, we thank you for listening. There are many more stories from the Hidden Archives that have yet to be shared. We hope that you join us next time for another Glimpse Within. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, in Archivum.